0: Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau did the cabinet shuffle, uh, which is not unusual. Governments uh, heading into the last year of the mandate uh, usually rearrange a few things and, and hand out a, a couple of different portfolios. And he did actually increase the size of the cabinet yesterday, bringing in five new ministers to the table and creating some new portfolios. One of those is uh, to a Hamilton MP, Philemon Atassi, who is, a, of course, the member of parliament uh, for this area, for uh, Hamilton, West, Ancaster, and Dundas, is now the newly minted Minister for Seniors. And Philomena Tassi joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about that. Philomena, thank you so much for the time. It's good to have you with us today.
1: Oh, good morning, Bill. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, first and foremost, congratulations.
1: Well, thank you so much for that. I'm really delighted for Hamilton uh, and uh, very happy, very happy.
0: How did you find out about this? What was the process?
1: Well, the process is... Um, I was invited to the uh, Prime Minister's office on Sunday for a discussion, and uh, it was at that time that he had indicated to me that uh, he wanted me to serve as the uh, Minister of Seniors.
0: Now, is it true? I mean, we, we've seen this outlined, and they made, actually made TV shows about it and everything else. When you know this is a shuffle imminent like this, Philomena, I are you actually sitting by the phone hoping, or do you just figure if it happens, it happens?
1: Well, I guess. Everybody would answer that, people would answer that question differently, Bill. For me, uh, I sort of keep my head down and keep working hard. And, um, you know, I think that uh, you don't want to depend on that. You just want to keep, you know, representing your constituents as a member of Parliament. Um, so that's what I do. I just, you know, it's just you kept working. And uh, I was really pleased to be uh, invited previously to serve as Deputy Whip and part of the House leadership team and that uh, that experience has been absolutely fantastic i learned a great deal and and so you know i was immersed in that as well as uh uh serving as an mp of my constituents uh, of hamilton and um, and then i got the call of the meeting with the Prime Minister.
0: Okay, let's talk about the new portfolio and the responsibilities yep. that come with this. Uh, this, is, this. This is a big deal. I know that some people are saying, well, it's not really a senior cabinet position, but uh, it's, it's, it's one of the largest cohorts, one of the largest demographics, of course, and, and one that's causing a great deal of concern, obviously, because of things like pensions, uh, because of retirement ages and so many different things. You've got a multitude of different uh, topics and, and, and issues that are going to be facing you in this portfolio.
1: Yes, that's true, Bill. I I have to tell you to begin. I'm so thrilled to have the opportunity to serve seniors. This is uh, this is an extremely important file. We know we want to recognize the contributions that seniors have made, and we also want to ensure that as they move, uh, as they continue to age, that both their gifts and their talents are um, are shared. But also that they have the security that they need. So, so, you know, there's, uh, there's a number of challenges I know that seniors face, but I think this is a very, uh, significant step for the government to take. On the seniors file, it's not that, you know, we have moved forward on many things for seniors. Um, you know, some of them include the, uh, the GIS and the OAS eligibility rollback, uh, age. You know, we've made that as a platform uh, promise, and we fulfilled that from 67. We've rolled it back to 65, and then, of course, the increase in the GIS. One of the investments I think that we made was so important was the six billion over 10 years for home care. You know, many seniors want to age in their homes. That's where they're comfortable. That's where they want to stay. So, you know, there's been a number of investments that we have um, uh, made enhancing the CPP. Um, and then, the, of course, housing, because we know housing is important for seniors, the, the $40 billion that we've put in that over 10 years. So these investments have been made, and I'm looking forward to continuing to work um, and, and enhancing that, right? So so getting input from seniors and, and ensuring that we get this right for them. But you're absolutely right in terms of the demographic. Like now, um, there's, it's about 17% of the population in Canada is uh, made up of seniors. And for the first time in the 2016 uh, census, the first time in history of the census, that there were more Canadians uh, aged 65 or older than youth. So we know that the the population is growing, the demographic is growing, and um, that's part of it, but it's also that seniors deserve and earn the right to ensure that that as they age they age comfortably and they age well.
0: Let me ask you I, and again I you know you just it sounds like you've obviously been checking up on the file in the last 24 hours or so but uh, <laughs> but I know that your government's been working on this so I mean th- these are many items that we've talked about over the last couple of years too as you've introduced these pieces of legislation. But uh, but I want to talk about the pension issue for just a second and and yes. I'm not suggesting you're going to make policy for us right now on the show. Although if you want to, feel free. But uh, that's one of the major concerns simply because of, of income levels and because seniors are living longer right now and they're not just sitting in their homes. They're trying to be active. They want to do things with their lives. Uh, But at the same time, uh, not everybody, of course, had a pension plan at work. Those who did, a lot of them took a hit back in 2009 during the recession. What's the government's plan? How are they looking at that, trying to do something for seniors and assisting seniors? I mean, ideally, we just like to say, hey, just increase the CPP and everybody will be happy. But it's easier said than done
1: yep so so, let me say a couple of things on that. We recognize that that is an issue, and I am looking forward to I will be flying back to Ottawa tomorrow to have the first briefing uh, with department officials and uh, look forward to the input that you know that we're, that 'll receive and then continue to receive as we as we go because I think consulting with seniors is so important, and I have had the opportunity over the last year and a half. We actually we, we committed to this we we've gone to various uh my team has gone to various uh, seniors residences and retirement homes to get the input to to uh, and knocked on doors so i continue to knock on doors i'm going out on saturday too to ensure that we're getting the input that we need so that moving forward we can make the best decisions, and the only way to do that is to make sure that you're that you're that you're talking to seniors and really understanding the situations that they faced. On the CPP file, what we've done is we've increased um, the from one third from one quarter to one third, and we've increased the pensionable earnings by 14%. So that's an enhancement of the CPP. Um, moving forward, and um, what other things that we may introduce? There's many things that have been discussed. You know, Huma just did a a, a study that was presented in the House um, by the Chair of the Huma Committee in March, and that was a very it was a very uh, wholesome study, and uh, I think that that's going to help too in terms of of the direction that we're going to take. And so a number of witnesses at that. Um, Uh, Presented at the HUMA committee, and the National Seniors Council is now considering the report that has been presented. So a number of the things, including uh, the issue that you've just raised, is is included in that report.
0: There was another issue that came up just a couple of weeks ago that I'm sure is going to come across your desk now as the minister in charge of this. And and that's, of course, time away from the country and, 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 of course, eligibility for uh, benefits and assets. And uh, I know that some insurance companies are trying to crack down on that, and there's been some talk about sharing of information between the two governments, the American and Canadian government. Uh, And and obviously some of the seniors are concerned about that. Uh, The snowbirds who want to spend some time down there, uh, either with family or friends during the winter months. And and, uh, obviously there's going to have to be some clarity on that as to exactly what they're going to be able to do and whether or not they're going to still be able to be eligible for some of the benefits that they are due.
1: Yes, and you know, Bill, thats the, it's not the first time I've heard that. I've heard that uh, knocking on doors in the past. And so this, as well as uh, the other issues, I will, uh, this is why I'm so happy that there's a Minister of Seniors appointed. And and I'm the person that just happens to be blessed to have this role. Uh, I'm very passionate about getting this right. And so, and I, I can assure you that's one thing, that I will delve into this with great enthusiasm and energy and passion to make sure that whatever decisions we make are decisions that are rooted in uh, consultation, in best practices, because that's what our seniors deserve.
0: This is uh, one of these situations where government has evolved, though, Philomena, where you you don't work in silos anymore. Clearly, a lot of the issues you've just talked about and some of the other ones that I'm sure are going to come up, uh, there's going to have to be a relationship with the provincial governments on this and certainly with other ministries. Uh, At the federal level as well, when we're talking about some of these issues, uh, such as uh, obviously going back and forth across the border, uh, drug plans, of course, which which is uh, the cost of pharmaceuticals, which is going to be a key issue. And that does have an impact on seniors as well. So there's there's, there's a lot of partnerships that are going to have to be formed here.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and you know, collaboration is so important, and I think it's the key in getting it right. We have to communicate with each other, and we have to have uh, those conversations to ensure that collectively we're coming up with the uh, with the best result. And you're absolutely right, Bill. So you know, I mean, Minister Duclos, I'm going to be working very closely with Minister Duclos, Minister Qualtro on the accessibility piece, and and. For sure, the, the provincial partners, uh, municipal, everyone, and so collaboration is is key here, and uh, and I will commit the time and and uh, ensure that I get the input so that, as I've said, moving forward, we do the best we can for our seniors.
0: One of the other elements that's going to come into play here, obviously, Philomena, is you are now the regional minister at the, for the federal level here uh, for this region, uh, which means added responsibility, which means, obviously, you're going to get calls from, uh, well, people like the mayor uh, and, and others uh, about key issues here that may or may not be involved in your portfolio directly, but they're going to be looking for some assistance. You're, you're the voice for this area now at the cabinet table.
1: You know, Bill, I can't tell you how honored I am that Hamiltonians have, uh, you know, put me in this position by, by giving their support to me in the last election. And you know I'm a Hamilton girl, born and raised. I absolutely love this city. I tell you, when I was sworn in yesterday, I wore my hammer earrings, and that meant a great deal to me. Uh, some people may laugh that off and think it's a fun. But for me, I wore them with pride. You know, born and raised here, I think this community is the best place to be, uh, so proud of Hamiltonians. You know, we have a community that's amazing. It, it not only in terms of the business and, you know, the business growth and look how many um, entrepreneurs we have that have opened up businesses, but the volunteering, the, uh, the compassion, the support, the hardworking men and women. You know, my family is a steel family. My father uh, was a steel worker. and In fact, everyone in my family worked in steel. The work ethic in Hamilton is second to none. So I have to tell you how proud I am to represent this amazing community.
0: Well, as, as a Hamiltonian, you understand, too, that you are now part of a, a rather impressive legacy of, of Cabinet Ministries from this area. Uh, in recent memories, of course, uh, the Sheila Cops, the Tony Valerios, the Stan Keys, and Lincoln Alexanders, and so many others. That's a pretty august company that you're joining.
1: It is. And John Monroe, you know, of course. So- I've um yeah, I know that I have big shoes to fill. Um and the promise that I will make is that I will work very hard because uh because I, I've I've been so blessed to be put in this position. And really for me I got into this role because I wanted to serve. You know I worked as a chaplain previously and then uh, a lawyer before that, but then when I had my children I moved into chaplaincy so that I could spend more time raising my children. Um and I have to tell you, it's just uh, service is, is the reason that I'm here. And I, the stars aligned, and I felt that this is where I was meant to be, and uh, and service is so important to me. So for me, it's very important that I get this right. It's not about me. I'm, I'm here as an instrument. I'm here as an instrument for this community to ensure that this community gets the best possible uh, attention and um uh, best possible decisions are made in order that, that the community can grow, and the potential here is phenomenal. And I have been—you know—you mentioned about it involves different players. I have been connecting with um, so many of the leaders in the community over the past three years in my role as MP, um, and uh, just. I'm so proud of of all those that work because it's not only jobs to these to the leaders it's also a passion to serve this community to make it better and I am I just appreciate the opportunity to be here and I will work tirelessly to to, uh, to bring uh, the best to Hamilton and to Canadians.
0: This is a pretty long uh, shopping list and to-do list that we've just talked about, Philomena, over the last couple of minutes. What's what's job one now? I mean, now that you're, you're back here, you're back to Ottawa tomorrow, obviously, and I'm sure you yes. have to meet with ministry staff, but uh, yep. wh- where do you go? What's 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 number one on the priority list right now?
1: Number one on the priority list is is getting the briefing on the, on the seniors file. That's the particular um, role that I've been given. So I need to delve into that, work hard, get the information that's at hand, and then decide how we're going to move forward in order that we make the best decisions possible for seniors. So putting together a plan in moving forward so that we we uh, give the seniors the respect, the dignity uh, that they deserve, and ensuring that as we move forward, th- that they that their gifts are shared, that they have an opportunity to engage. We want to get away from social social isolation. And you know what the the irony is, that when our seniors contribute, when they're engaged, it's not only them that benefits, it's all of us that benefit. I've seen that firsthand over and over again. So that's the first priority. While that is happening, Bill, I've... Absolutely committed, of course, to this community, to, uh, to stakeholders. I'm going to be canvassing, as I said, on uh, Saturday afternoon. I have my team is going out, me and my team of volunteers, and we're going to be knocking on doors to listen. So it's, um, it's a bit of balancing, but I love challenges and I love hard work. So I think I'm up for the job.
0: A lot of issues to talk about in the uh, weeks and months ahead, obviously, and uh, we'll certainly uh, engage with you as that happens. Uh, Philomena, thanks again for the time. Congratulations, and uh, best of luck with the, uh, the new job.
1: Thank you so much, Bill. Really appreciate you reaching out to me for this.
0: Okay, we'll talk again soon. Philomena Tassi, the uh, new Minister of uh, Seniors, and, of course, the MP for Hamilton West, Ancaster, Dundas. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Ontario Premier, Doug Ford, of course, is out in New Brunswick for the Premier's Conference. We're going to talk about that in more detail a little bit later on in the program. But uh, back here at home at Queen's Park, there are still some things going on. Uh, Of course, earlier this week, uh, the Premier announced that he was going to uh, strike a uh, special... Inquiry, independent inquiry about the spending habits and financial policies of the previous government. Uh, The price tag for this is about a million dollars, and a number of people are are rather upset about this, and and I I share that concern and I share that upset. We'll talk about that in a couple of seconds. Joining us to uh, give us the lowdown on this is Mike Schreiner. Mike, of course, is the leader of the Ontario Green Party and the first elected Green Party member of the Ontario Legislature. Uh, Mike, first of all, thanks so much for the time. Good to have you with us today.
2: Oh, my pleasure, Bill. Always happy to be on.
0: Well, lots to talk about here. And and I, I mentioned this on my commentary at 810 this morning, and, and, and I share this. I know you want to talk about the comment and, and the statement you issued on this. I don't think anybody is saying, look, we, do, we don't need to be fiscally responsible. Of course we do. But this sounds a little redundant to me. What are your thoughts about this idea, about this independent inquiry?
2: Yeah, Bill, I'm all for fiscal responsibility. And I think we need to have an accurate picture of where the province's finances are, but I question how independent this is going to be when it looks like uh, the new premier has handpicked his own people to run a so-called independent inquiry, um, especially when we already hire independent officers of the legislature called the Auditor General and the Financial Accountability Officer. I'd have much more confidence in their ability to have some additional funds to conduct an independent audit uh, that I think would truly be independent.
0: Well, I'll go one further on that, Mike. I mean, the information's already there for the most part. I mean, because the the Auditor General, Ms. Lissick, issued a report just before the election that talked about this. And and just about everything that we were concerned about as Ontario voters is included in that report, including some rather shady bookkeeping to try to show that there was actually a balanced budget. We already know that. She's already identified that the hydro funding, I mean, break right down the list. So th- there's a certain redundancy here to suggest, well, I'm going to pay a million dollars to get a report that basically is already there.
2: Yeah, very good point, Bill. The other thing that I find just um, really disturbing about the new government is, is the most shady part of the accounting that the Liberals engaged in was the Liberals' unfair hydro plan. I mean, both the Auditor General and the Financial Accountability Officer have, you know, highly criticized it. The financial accountability officer said that this could cost us between 40 and $90 billion over the next two decades. Um, it's costing us, you know, around, you know, I don't know, 2 and a half to $3.5 a, a year right now. And the Ford government says they're going to keep it. So we actually already know where the biggest savings can be found and where the shadiest accounting tricks that the liberals used um, we already know that, and yet the government's going to continue with that. It makes no sense to me.
0: Well, there's some speculation. I was talking with Alan Carter, of course, in Global News, who's covered Queen's Park for years and years. He was on a show yesterday, Mike and and we talked about that particular issue and there's there's another element too that I, I'd like to get some clarity on and maybe maybe you can get this from the government. Uh, is is about that uh, the bookkeeping and the accounting in the first place, uh, and it has to do with pension funds and the government counseling as was assets and and the auditor general and the financial accountability office say no 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 you can't do that that was that's incorrect. Yet the government is yet to say that they're going to go th- with with the auditor general's advice on this because I know they've been doing it and and subs- previous governments have been doing it for years. Now it's been ruled out out of bounds. Uh, yet uh, the Ford government is yet to say whether or not they're going to adhere to that.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, on top of that, Bill, I've been really disturbed at a number of the decisions the new government is making that I think is going to cost boatloads of money. So we've already talked about, you know, not reversing the accounting gimmicks of the liberals. But then you put on top of that um, canceling the cap and trade program without a responsible way of transitioning out of it. Some estimates are that could cost between two and four billion dollars plus 100 million in legal fees. We now have this morning the premier just announced that uh, Ontario will be joining Saskatchewan in a legal challenge around the federal uh, uh, pollution pricing plan, uh, which many legal analysis I've seen says that's just a waste of money and a fruitless effort. So how many you know millions of dollars is Ontario going to spend really for the Ford government to score political points, not to actually achieve anything. And so it's this, this waste of taxpayers' dollars that the new government is already engaged in—I don't think that's what people voted for.
0: Well, and and that's that's one of the areas that I think a lot of people need to get some clarity on. Again, is 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 why they're doing this, and uh, and you know, if the essence of this, and Mike, maybe I'm re- reading this incorrectly, but I I got the sense. That basically what, what he wants to do and what the Saskatchewan Premier Saskatchewan Mo wants to do Premier Moe wants to do is basically challenge whether or not the federal government has the ability to make laws and, 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 and to and to create taxes. Well of course they do. Ah, uh, you may not like them, but they can. And if you don't like it, obviously you can vote b- them out of office. We just did that with the, the previous provincial government here. But I, I'm really wondering about the the legitimacy of actually going to court and saying, well, they can't, they can't impose that tax. Of course, I, that that's they they have that constitutional right, just like the the provincial government here has that that right.
2: Absolutely, Bill. I mean, they've had that right for what 151 years now. So, I mean, you know, if if the premier wants to engage in a frivolous lawsuit, then maybe the Conservative Party should pay for it because it seems to be driven um, by partisan politics, not by what's good for the people of Ontario. And so why should we be wasting money that could be spent on health care and education and better transit uh, on a lawsuit that's really about scoring political points for the new government?
0: Well, I I guess the question I would ask, Mr. Ford, if you were actually doing interviews, is is what does he plan to find? What does he think he's going to find from this independent report that's not already in the last couple of Auditor General reports and the Financial Accountability Office reports?
2: Yeah, and not to even mention, we could even go back to the Drummond Commission, um, which I know is, what, six years old now, but uh, not all the recommendations in that report have been uh, fully implemented as well. So, you know, we have a lot of reports. <laughs> the government could actually use those reports and follow recommendations in some of those reports uh, rather than their own um, hand-picked um, commission, uh, which I question, you know, how independent it's going to be. I think there are better uses of the money that, that's being allocated for it. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to continue to push the government to, to be fiscally responsible. And the reason I want our government to be fiscally responsible is is that I want money to go to frontline public services like health care, like education, like better transit, and not be uh, wasted on a political agenda.
0: Well, and, and I know every time there's a transition in government, like, uh, you know, the, the, the new incoming government always does something of this nature. And, and, and you know, we already know, I think I mentioned uh, even before the vote was was held last month, that uh, the, the, the government already had the speech written that, oh, we didn't know the books were this bad, now we're going to have to cut instead. We know, because every government has that speech, they know that. Uh, and and certainly that's what they're going to do here, but they have more than enough ammunition. But they're not telling us anything we don't already know. Uh, The voters of Ontario already knew that there was some shady bookkeeping. They already knew that there was huge overspending in administration on things like Orange and E Health and a number of different issues. We already knew that they paid way too much for some of those contracts for alternative sources of energy. That's why they voted them out of office. So why do we have to spend a million dollars to find out something that's already in front of us?
2: Exactly. And you know, I I also just say that you know the the premier appointed a a finance minister who's who's very capable. You know, um, Mr. padelli and I, we may disagree on a number of issues, but um, he's a very capable minister. And, you know, I, I think, you know, he could take the reports that have been done by the Auditor General, by the Financial Accountability Officer, and, you know, I think, and, and look at past reports, the Drummond Commission and others, um, and come up with the information for the new government to make the decisions they want to make. Rather than handpicking uh, a bunch of you know handpicked conservative insiders who you know were going to spend a lot of money, as you said, to tell us something that the auditor general, the financial accountability officer, can tell us.
0: I, 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 yeah, this is a million bucks. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. I'm I, I, I'm just one taxpayer, Mike, but I, I would rather see that million dollars spent on solutions, not on 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 blaming the previous government, which I, I we already know about. You know, that's, it seems fruitless. It seems like, uh, I think your point is bang on. This is a lot more political than it is policy.
2: Absolutely, Bill. You know, actually, if I could just slightly change the subject, but it's relevant here. Yeah. Is this is one of the reasons that I support proportional representation. If you look at governments, particularly in Europe, that have PR, they actually have stronger fiscal performances and are better at balancing budgets than um, governments in Canada under 1st past the post. And part of the reason is, is because they're usually in minority government situations. So you don't have these huge policy swings where it's like we have one party in power with 38 percent of the vote and 100 percent of the power. And then, you know, a few percentages shift and now you have another party with 100 percent of the power and only 40 percent of the vote. And they spend all this money, all this time And undoing everything that the previous government did, which not only is bad for the province's finances, but it also creates an unstable business environment that hurts uh, business investment and job creation in the province. And so if we went to something like proportional representation, you wouldn't have these huge fluctuations. You wouldn't have new majority governments coming in and wasting millions and millions of dollars to really just kind of trash the previous government.
0: Well, what are the chances of that happening, I mean, There have been a couple of attempts already at, at voter reform and election reform, and uh, it kind of fell flat both times, both federally and provincially.
2: Yeah, but you know what? We'll see what happens this fall in British Columbia. That could um, restart the conversation for the rest of the country if uh, British Columbians vote to change their electoral system. And if they do that, I'm hoping that's going to lay the foundation for us to have a better democracy across Canada and especially in Ontario.
0: By the way, I agree with your your assessment of Vic Fidelia. Vic's been on the show many times, of course, when he was the opposition critic in the finance. The guy knows his stuff, and uh, and I, I think there are a lot of people that maybe not crazy about the results of this past election, Mike, but are willing to say, look, it that's democracy. That's the way it went. Okay, let's give this government a chance, and and I and that's a, a healthy mindset to take. But when you see things like this when they're, they're less than, than than forthright about the, the Mayo-Schmidt uh, departure uh, and the $9 million in stock options that the Premier didn't seem to want to mention to us or didn't want to talk about. And then you see something like this where there's a redundancy of a million dollars for a report that already exists. Uh, and then you see one of his old uh, Progressive Conservative Party presidents and a good friend of the Premier's getting a nice little job here as a consultant for an, a, a huge amount of money. Uh, I, I got to tell you, there's an awful lot of people I've talked to that are, if I can paraphrase Pete Townsend from The Who just a second, meet the new boss, same as the old boss.
2: Absolutely. You know, this government, uh, they campaigned on change, but it looks a lot more of the same. Um, And so I find that deeply disappointing. You know, I I ran on a campaign to do politics differently, to work across the aisle, and I'm trying to work across the aisle with the Conservatives, with the Liberals, with the NDP, uh, because I think the people of Ontario want us to do politics differently. And just work on policies that put people first, that benefit the people of Ontario, not party insiders, not party hacks, not politically partisan games, not spending public money on politically partisan-driven, um, you know, agendas like like the pollution pricing uh, lawsuit. And to be honest and transparent with people, you know, the fact that that the, the premier said that, you know, Mayor Schmidt was leaving as CEO of Hydro One and it would cost nothing. Then a day later, we learned, you know, $400,000 seventh package and a $9 million stock option. So they essentially turned the $6 million man into a $9 million man.
0: Well, and had they been forthright about this, then you would have said, "Well, look at it. You know, it's, we, we're saddled with the contract. We can't do this anything about it." But when you sp- start speaking in half truths, then all of a sudden, that credibility that you're trying to establish—at least I hope they're trying to establish—starts to erode, and and boy, it's tough to get that back once that starts happening.
2: Absolutely, Bill. You know, if the premier had said at that initial news conference, you know, we are, you know, we are we are removing the CEO of Hydro One because we want to take. As the major shareholder of the corporation, in a different direction. This is going to cost 400000 in severance, and he has $9 million in stock options. He would have had that anyway. Then I think people would have said, okay, you're being straight with this. But to get up there and say that it would cost nothing, and then we find out a day later it's actually going to cost over $9 million. Um, those are the kinds of political games that people are sick and tired of, and that's the kind of change I want to bring to Queen's Park, that we end these kinds of political games and actually make politics about what's good for the people of Ontario.
0: By the way, there's an irony in this this whole situation of what the, uh, the, the panel that's being uh, struck here to do this audit. Uh, as we mentioned, Gordon Campbell uh, is, is going to the, be the head of this thing. He's the former uh, Premier of the province of, uh, of British Columbia, uh, and by the way, for those that'll say, "Well, I see that's not partisan because he was a liberal." Well, Mike, you and I both know that the Liberal Party in BC is much more conservative than it is liberal, uh, just because Absolutely. it has the same moniker. It's it's not the same mindset. Uh, but to be that as it might, the irony being that when uh, when Gordon Campbell was the premier in BC, he introduced pollution pricing in 2008. So he's obviously an advocate for that. Yet he seems to be working on the other side of the aisle now.
2: Well, my my hope, Bill, is is that as uh, Mr. Campbell and his team, they, you know, they do their, their commission of, uh, in their inquiry, that maybe they come back to the Premier and say, you know, hey, Premier, we've found a way for you to implement pollution pricing in a fiscally responsible way that's going to help Ontario meet its climate obligations and leave a livable planet for our children and grandchildren, while at the same time creating jobs in the $7 trillion clean economy um, and and doing it in a fiscally responsible way. So I'm hoping that's going to be part of the report that comes back to the new premier.
0: Well, and again, to go back, I don't want to go too deeply into ancient history here, but when Patrick Brown was the leader of that party, and we thought he was the one that was going to lead them into the election, his, his People's Guarantee, which was their platform, uh, accepted uh, the idea of the federal carbon pricing and taxing that was going on. Didn't like it. I mean, I talked to Patrick about it. He says, I'm not really crazy about it. But it's going to happen, and we're going to use the money that's generated from that to off, to fund some of these other programs, and even offer a, a tax cut to Ontario taxpayers. So this is just you don't if you're a conservative, you don't have to be anti-carbon. I mean, the, it happens, and, and and it's it is happening in other places in the world. And uh, to simply say on a philosophical level, we're conservative, so we hate this stuff, I, I think is a little short-sighted.
2: Oh, I know a number of conservatives, Bill, who sub- who recognize that we have to take action on climate change and recognize that putting a price on pollution and in a revenue-neutral way, returning all that revenue back to the people of Ontario, literally putting money in people's pockets, is a fiscally responsible, effective way of tackling the climate crisis. It's a market-friendly way of doing it. It seems to fit, you know, with many of the things that Conservatives uh, used to believe in, or at least say they believe in. Um, And so for this government, uh, the Ford government to, you know, Cancel all of essentially cancel all of Ontario's climate plans take a wrecking ball to it without any alternative plan like if they at least said hey we don't like what the liberals did but here's our plan uh, and then we could, you know debate the merits of that plan but the fact that they're just you know wrecking everything the previous government did with having no plan whatsoever. And the ultimate irony for me is, is what I think we're going to get in Ontario is exactly what the Green Party's been calling for, is a carbon dividend plan where you put a price on pollution and all the money that's collected is returned back to the people of Ontario as a dividend check. That seems to be the direction the federal government is going. And so the question I've been raising with the Premier is, is you know, this is going to happen in Ontario anyway. Do you want to be the one who signs the checks? Do you want Doug Ford's signature on the checks? Or do you want Justin Trudeau's signature on those carbon dividend checks
0: well it's a decision they're going to have to make and and again i know you raised this uh, a couple of days ago when uh, when the uh, energy minister ta- started talking about canceling a number of those uh, green energy contracts uh and again wasn't very specific but the number that was uh, that was stated there was rather huge and and i know you and a number of other people asked the very obvious question Well, how much is this going to cost us i mean in legal fees if we're going to tear simply tear up contracts we don't have an answer to that yet
2: We don't. So I'm deeply concerned about that. I mean, you know, the Liberal government told us the gas plant scandal is going to cost a few million dollars, ended up costing $1.1 billion. And so I'm hoping the new government isn't taking us down that exact same road by ripping up contracts. But the other part of the economic analysis that I'm wanting from government is, is what effect are their actions going to have on the broader economy? I mean, the fact that you have a government ripping up contracts sends a clear signal to businesses that Ontario is not a safe place to invest in. Um, I think that's irresponsible. I think it's bad for business, bad for job creation. But the other thing they're doing is they're closing the door to the $7 trillion uh, global clean tech economy. If you look at where the job growth is around the world, it's in the clean economy. We need to skate to where the puck is going, not where it's been. And I'm deeply worried the new government is saying, you know, hey, Ontario's closed for business when it comes to that part of the of the global economy that's the fastest growing where most of the jobs are.
0: Mike Schreider, uh, MPP for Guelph and, of course, leader of the Ontario Green Party. Lots more to talk about in the weeks and months ahead, Mike. Thanks so much for this today, though.
2: Absolutely, Bill. Anytime. You betcha. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast
3: on 900 CHML.
0: The uh, city of Hamilton, of course, has uh, an upcoming municipal election. Well, the whole province does, actually, each and every community, October 22nd. But uh, one of the other vacancies that need to be filled, besides some of the ones that are popping up on city council now, is the city manager's job. Chris Murray, of course, who uh, held the job, uh, resigned a a little while ago to take the the city manager's job in the city of Toronto. So there's a void there. There is an interim uh, manager there. Mike Zagarek, who is the finance head, is uh, taking the job on an interim basis but uh, they've got to make some decisions here. And this is a very pivotal time in Hamilton's economic and uh, history and, and so many other key decisions coming on. So they got to make sure they get this right. That's really what it comes down to. Uh, so what's the process? Who's going to get the job and how are they going to decide uh, exactly how they're going to move forward on this? Terry Whitehead, City Council for Ward 8, who's been around on council for the longest time and seen a few of these uh, city manager processes before, joins us to talk about this. Terry, thank you for the time. Good to have you with us today.
3: Great to uh, be with you, Bill, and your listeners. And just for correction, I'm, I have been there the
0: longest time. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> sometimes it seems even longer than that. I bet. too.
3: Oh, sometimes when you're in the seat, and you know this.
0: But but okay. in various incarnations, Terry, even when you worked in the mayor's office under Bob Moore, and of course you as your time on the city council, uh, obviously you've you've seen what's happened with amalgamation with some of the people that have been hired. I, you, we even had a I guess a couple of situations uh, previous to amalgamation. Uh, with, uh, with hiring city managers and interim city managers. It's, it's a pretty delicate process, isn't it?
3: Absolutely, absolutely. I, I'm proud of the fact that uh, I was on the selection committee that eventually uh, put Chris Murray in, into his seat. and I don't think anyone on council would argue that I wasn't one of the chief architects to uh, ensure that Chris Murray was the guy that uh, we selected. And also it was a testimony to the fact that you can have great quality uh outside, inside, at senior levels sometimes the jewel is at the next layer. And that's certainly where Chris uh, Murray was found. And uh, he has demonstrated good leadership. And, uh, you know, you look at the condition of the city today, uh, it's, you know, it's not just council, it's good, great leaders and city managers like Chris Murray.
0: But Terry, how do you pull those people out? Because a lot of them might just think, oh, you know what, I'm not in that upper echelon. And and you've seen the same thing happen, of course, you're a member of the police services board, uh, when you've gone on the, on a hunt for, well, chiefs, first of all, but even for deputy chiefs, uh, I know that you and other members of the board have complained over the last little while that, gee, we thought more people were going to apply, uh, they just—I I don't know if they don't want the gig or they don't think they're—they're they're good enough for it. Uh, And—and you—you scored obviously with Chris Murray. You're right. I mean, the, I don't think he was on anybody's radar when we were deciding who the next city manager might be. And—and uh, and you guys found him obviously. And I, I agree with you, by the way. I think he's—he he worked out very well for the city. But uh, you know, I, I don't know if lightning can strike again. But I mean, you want to make sure that you get every possible uh, legitimate candidate
3: absolutely and i think uh by embarking on the last process and having the results uh we did we also send a very uh strong message uh for those very strong leaders in different uh and whatever layer they're in within the the, uh, the city or even other communities that you don't necessarily have to be a general manager or senior level uh to be considered for this job we are looking for the brightest and the best we're looking uh, with people with energy uh, and, uh, and, and creativity and innovation, and uh, and sometimes you don't always find that at the, uh, the senior uh, levels. Uh, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but I believe now that we've opened that door with uh, the hiring Chris Murray recently, uh, it will inspire uh, uh, people that probably would never consider to put their application in before.
0: So, so how do you begin a process like this? Like I say, this is not the first time you've gone through this. By, and by the way, before we even get to that question, let me backtrack just a second, uh, because Mayor Eisenberger is on record as suggesting that he doesn't think this is a job for this council, that you should wait until after the municipal election and let the new council, whoever that's going to be, uh, go through this process. What are your thoughts on that idea?
3: Actually, I agree with the mayor. Uh, I think the reality is uh, uh, I believe we have some very good talents already uh, at, at City Hall, um, You know, we got Mike Zagarek, who's going to be the acting city manager on the interim, and he's a quality individual. Uh, But I think uh, it behooves us to ensure that we uh, cast the net wide, uh, invite all in, go through that process to, again, find the the brightest, uh, the innovator, uh, the leader uh, that could fit uh, the city. And I think the mayor's point is, we're so close to an election, and the city manager is a key role. It is the senior bureaucrat at City Hall uh, and oversees all the general managers and all the way down the line, and if you don't pick it right, uh, it could have a uh, an effect all the way down that line, so it's a very, very important role, and uh, we are about to enter into uh, an election. Uh, we know there's going to be at least four new uh, uh, councillors sitting around that uh, table, and you need to be part of that decision, and uh, you know, not giving them that opportunity, not giving the new council, because really, the new city manager will be uh, 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 essential in regards to moving forward. And uh, I think and I believe that the new council needs to be uh, I- instrumental in making that
0: selection. Where do you cast the net, though, Terry? I mean, uh, obviously, I know that both you and and Mayor Eisenberger and a, a few other people on council have commented about the, the level of talent within the existing administrative staff that you have, whether they're senior managers or not. Uh, there's some pretty smart people there and some pretty innovative and talented people there. We get that. Uh, but at the same time, there's going to be pressure, I would think, uh, whoever's going to be on this committee uh, to say, look, at it. don't limit it to the city. I mean, there could be somebody else out there. I mean, it's since amalgamation in the last 18 years, uh, two of the city managers have come from outside. Yeah. Uh, we could argue how, how effective that was, but uh, the reality is, is they did cast the net much wider. Is that a consideration at this stage?
3: Well, I think that is going to be debated by uh, the new council. I, I, I have my own views. I, I think we have great talent within. Uh, we've created a culture. we shifted the culture at City Hall, and uh, we've got some great people there. Uh, so i be one of the ones that uh, would suggest that uh, our experience is when you hire from within, uh, you have greater success, uh, and uh, there's a less learning, uh, uh, learning curve. Uh, but, I mean, that is my position, and I think, in a fairness, in a democracy, uh, with the new council, that will be discussion and debate that needs to take place. And I know my position will be that I think we have the talent right here in-house and we don't have to cast that, that
0: uh, wide. Okay, but I'm, I'm going to suggest something. I was talking with some some folks that uh, have been watching city politics for the longest time about this yesterday. And they suggested, I, I guess maybe the term I want to use here, Terry, is a hybrid uh, because there are a lot of talented people that worked for the city at one time that went into other municipalities Uh, And have risen through the ministerial and and administrative ranks uh, in other cities, uh, may be interested in the job. Do you take those applications too? If if the phone rings and and they say, "Hey, I'm I'm interested in coming back."
3: Uh, Well, but they you know uh, that would be part of a a a, a good discussion. Let's let's be clear. They 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 have left uh, the city for a a period of time. Uh, The city has continued moving forward. Uh, There's been a lot of significant changes in performance reviews and culture. Uh, you know, and the surveys, employment, uh, involvement uh, that they haven't uh, participated in or got to observe. So although they might have a complete outsider, uh, they're really not connected in the way that uh, many people currently working for the city are.
0: So, so your preference, obviously, is to look internally first. Absolutely. All right. And, and at what time? Now, I understand you want the new council to, to make the def- ultimate decision about this, but I would think that you've got to start the process before the election, or do you?
3: No, I think, uh, I think Chris Murray has uh, uh, left a very solid uh, foundation in which we can uh, bridge and, 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 and deal with this transition period for a longer uh, time frame. And then we got the quality uh, people uh, as uh, general managers, uh, and then you look at uh, Mike Z. Garrick and the deep respect that council has for him. Uh, I have the ultimate confidence that we won't skip a beat as we continue moving forward on our five and ten year plans.
0: So, so you, you, you're comfortable with this, but I mean, this still could take quite some time. But you're comfortable to simply take as long as it takes because you, you feel pretty confident in the even in the interim team, and Mr. Zagarek and, and others that are filling in those other holes.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I indicated that I believe that Chris Murray built uh, a very good, good successive plan, uh, succession plans, and when you take a look at the organization today, is it? Uh, looks compared to what it looked like several years ago uh we are much stronger we got greater ben uh, uh bench strength uh so i am and I'm sure my co- i 'm sure my i won 't speak on behalf of my colleagues but i 've talked to a couple of them and they have feel the same way that we have the luxury we have the luxury of doing it right the first time uh without skipping a beat in the
0: transition when the announcement was made that chris Murray was leaving terry you i you've seen the comments on social media about this, and a number of people contacted us here on the program. And said, "Look at this is an opportunity uh, to to consider gender uh, as well as abilities in situations like this. Uh, there obviously has never been a female uh, city manager. Uh, there's some concern that there are not enough. Uh, I don't think there are any right now uh, women in senior positions in the administrative staff of the city. Uh, is that going to be factored in, 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 in as as council moves forward on this decision?"
3: So yeah, let's be clear. We we've had a number of women in senior you positions, have. And, and general managers. You know, Creel uh, being one of the uh, the premium uh, ones that we had. Uh, uh, Tomasi. I mean, the list goes on. So to suggest that there hasn't been uh, 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 a gender consideration and gender, uh, uh, in gender women in senior positions at City Hall is a bit uh, misleading. Uh, I can tell you that uh, you know gender is always you know in the lens, uh, but. Really, uh, I think we need to pick the the biggest, the best, the brightest uh, in the context of moving the city forward. And, uh, and I know that there are very capable women out there as well that should be considered. Uh, but I don't think that that should be ultimately uh, the lens that makes the decision. I really believe what and who can demonstrate the greatest benefit to this community. That's how we make that decision.
0: As you're looking for this, and you've already told us that you're you're confident about the the talent level, not just at senior management, but with some of the others, Uh, do you reach out to some of those people to say, hey, I wish you would apply because we'd like to consider your application, or you just simply figure if they don't want it, then uh, to heck with it, then we'll move on?
3: Well, and you have raised probably one of the, I think, weaknesses in past systems. And I think uh, because often... um, And I think, like I said before, we opened the gateway in regards to other layers of uh, uh, good, strong leaders to making application. But I don't think we can rest on our laurels. I I firmly believe uh, that as we cast, uh, whether it's internal or or external, internal um, uh, process, uh, that if we've uh, identified uh, stars within our own organization, uh, we should be encouraging them to put their name forward
0: aggressively to, to the point that said, hey, I was kind of expecting an application from you, uh, so-and-so?
3: I, I think, uh, uh, well, I, I'm not sure what the, uh, the, the, the mechanism uh, to make that happen, but I, I know that uh, we know we have a number of stars within our organizations that are at different levels, and uh, it'd be a great experience for them to make the application and, and see how far they go through the process and maybe even be selected. Uh, so I think we need to be more aggressive in, uh, uh, putting hope out there, putting uh, the fact that uh, no no hill is too h- uh, high to climb, and that uh, there's many talented people in our community. We have every confidence in, in the quality of people we have, and uh, if you feel you have the uh, uh, the leadership, uh, then make the application.
0: I, I listen. I I understand that you're comfortable with this, and you want you want to get this right, and, and that's that's the right approach to take. Certainly. But at the same time, Terry, are you concerned about uh, about what's coming down the road or maybe even more specifically the track uh, when it comes to some of the key issues uh, that uh, not just the councillors, but the city are going to have to deal with. I mean, I, I know that you have dialogue with provincial and federal members through the elected process, uh, from MPs and MPPs, and and even cabinet ministers if you're if they return your calls. But there's there's as you know, there's an awful lot of work that goes on at the administrative side too. City manager and other department managers talking to je- deputy ministers and and officials within organizations, whether it's Metro or anything else. Uh, are you and, and of course there are going to have to be some tough decisions about LRT coming up in the next couple of months, right after this election. It's 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 not much time for a learning curve here. Is is there any concern right now among you and your council colleagues that you better get this done quickly because there's an awful lot coming on their plate?
3: Well, I think you just made an argument uh, for a con- continuity. Uh, it, it's a bit uh, uh, late in the stages to uh, bring somebody. Uh, and go through the learning curve of where where we are, how we got here, and where we need to go. Uh, where we already have uh, uh, everyone that with, that's currently within the organization uh, has that experience, has that knowledge, uh, and uh, and won't miss a beat as we move through this uh, transition period in the context of the provincial government and some of the major decisions that need to be met. And yes, you're absolutely right that there are senior organizations, whether it's on the finance side or city manager side. They get together provincially, uh, they talk about major issues, they meet with deputy ministers, they set or help set some of the tone within the bureaucracies, sort uh, of the provincial bu- uh, bureaucracy, and then some of those issues find its way to council where we make uh, decisions or provide direction. So it is key that uh, uh, whoever ends up in that position has the where for all to, to be able to get those kinds of things done and have those
0: networks. Terry, quick question for you. I, I, we're just about out of time here, but uh, since I do have you on the phone, uh, I guess it's an obvious question. Uh, do you plan on being one of the people that is in on this decision in the next term of council?
3: Uh, I, I just—it's it's,
0: it's about ten days until the oh, nominations totally. close, and I see you haven't registered to uh, to run for re-election <laughs> yet.
3: Oh, that's a—that—that—that's good, that, good. What I'm doing, uh, uh, Bill, and for your listeners, is uh, as you can appreciate, uh, Wardage has been divided into two uh there are uh i have developed great relationships uh with people individual and organizations throughout the ward uh it has been a very difficult decision the good news is i have made my mind up uh but i am not announcing it before uh through the media i am going straight to the communities uh to make those announcements because i think i owe it to them because i have the luxury and i've been humbled to be allowed to represent them as long as i have and i want to make sure that i show the respect they deserve
0: so when are you going to do that
3: I am, I'm in that process now. I've already had the first one.
0: Okay. And uh, obviously, uh, uh, well, you've got two choices here. Ward 14, the newly created Ward 14, of course, uh, which uh, kind of buffers uh, Ward 8 and, and Ancaster, and, of course, Ward 8 uh, itself, which is uh, a much different Ward 8 now because of the way that, uh, that all the wards have shifted right now. Uh, do the others who may have uh, registered to vote uh, in either one of those uh, have any impact at all on your decision?
3: Absolutely not. Not. Uh, I mean, I... Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a competitor, whether it's in sport, uh, you know, uh, hockey, and, 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 and badminton, any sport I've ever played, uh, uh, I've been competitive. Uh, I like competition. In fact, I, I encourage competition. Uh, I have done and I have demonstrated a very uh, strong um, ability to get things done, and in, in not only citywide, but certainly in the ward. People appreciate that. They know what my record is. Uh, so I have no. Uh, that's not even part of the con- uh, consideration. What's part of the consideration is what is best for uh, the area that I'm going to represent, uh, and certainly uh, input from my uh, my family.
0: There, there was uh, no eleventh-hour shot at the mayor's job here coming up.
3: <laughs> I think you got two great contenders right now.
0: All right, uh, we'll leave it at that for now and wait for the official word. Terry, thanks as always. Appreciate the time today. Thank you for having. Me. That's uh, Ward Eight Councilor Terry Whitehead uh, still mulling it. Well, he said he's made his decision, and I got a pretty good idea which way he's going to go. But we'll wait until he makes it official.
3: The Bill Kelly
0: Show, weekdays from nine to noon on nine hundred
3: CHML.